and welcome to Behind the Scaffolding, a podcast where we talk to teachers about the hows and whys of what we do in the classroom, coming to you from the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. I'm Angie Berkeley, a lecturer in the English Department Writing Program and the Sweetland Center for Writing. And I'm Gina Brandolino, a lecturer in the Department of English and the Sweetland Center for Writing. And this episode addresses a topic many of us likely have on our minds as we head back to school, icebreakers. You know, those classroom activities that we use to, well, you know, break the ice in our classrooms, to get students talking in the classroom to start feeling like a community. As we all know, the first days of class can be tough. Everyone's nervous and the class hasn't had time to gel as a group, really. Icebreakers are often the thing that starts that gelling happening. And so funny, working on this episode, I kept thinking of this game I had as a kid called Don't Break the Ice, where each player takes turns tapping plastic ice blocks out of a frame in an effort to not be the one to break the ice and make the little plastic dude in the middle fall. And it's kind of a cool metaphor for icebreakers in class. We all know that they can feel a little excruciating and tense, just like this game feels. And we we hope our icebreakers don't feel like that in our classrooms. But also remembering this game reminds me that what we want to happen with icebreakers in our classrooms doesn't happen all at once. They're not magic. So for this episode, we talked with Christine Modi, who directs the Peer Writing Consultant Program here at the University of Michigan and teaches in the Sweetland Center for Writing. She sums up her teaching and life philosophy in six words. Love, learn, grow, bring others along. And that is so Christine. It really is. As a veteran teacher and from her work as director of the Peer Writing Consultants especially, Christine has a ton of experience helping to turn classrooms into communities. And not surprisingly, she knows a lot about a lot of different kinds of icebreakers. So let's have a listen. Okay. Christine, we're so happy to have you with us here today. Thanks so much for inviting me. I'm really glad to be here. It's so good to see you. And we're here to talk about icebreakers. Great. In... um, anticipation of the beginning of the next school year. It's coming! Sooner than we think. Mm -hmm. So we thought we'd start this podcast with an icebreaker. One that maybe some of you have have done in your own classrooms, Mm -hmm. and we'll come back to it a little bit as we go, but we'll begin with you, Christine. Oh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) If you could be any animal Mm -hmm. in the whole world, what would it be, and why? Yeah, um... So I have I always have to think about this one a little bit because there are animals I like and then animals that I would want to be. And those are two different things. Right. right. That's um, so true. Right. You know, I think hedgehogs are really cute, but I don't have any desire to be a hedgehog. No, it looks like a right? terrible life. Yeah. <laughs> All that rooting around in hedges. Right. Um, I would choose to be some sort of bird and probably like a hawk. Mm. Or maybe a woodpecker, which I also think are cool, but I also think like there's something that I like about the sort of challenge of being a woodpecker and having a really cool skull. Right. Right. They're just, they're just cool. fascinating yeah. birds. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 It yeah. sounds like okay. you'd get a headache. I was thinking that too. That's yeah. the magic of the skull. You right. do. You don't. Right. Yeah, all that vibration. Right. Yeah. Super cool. And why hawk? 
Um, I just think they're beautiful. And I think that the, the use of thermals as opposed to flapping, I mean, obviously their wings flap hawks, owls, whatever, but they, they use a lot of thermals, and I just think that that is really interesting and soaring, mm. um, really fun, and then amazing eyesight <laughs> right. and diving, which could be very exciting. Sure, yeah. 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 And a nice little treat at the end of it. Mm, right. Nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Yeah, you going to go? I'll go. Okay, you okay. go. I'll go. Mine's not quite as sophisticated. Mine is also a bird, mm-hmm. probably a duck, because oh. I find ducks to be very beautiful, mm-hmm. especially the, the ducks that have that iridescent green mm-hmm. on their heads. The mallard. The mallard. Mm-hmm. Male mallards. And yeah. I like how they're, they're at home in the water, mm-hmm. swimming around, and then they can also fly, which mm-hmm. seems like it would be amazing to do. Yeah. Multitasking mm-hmm. birds. All right. Well, my... I'm 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 having the issue of do I like this animal or do I want to be this animal? Right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, so my first it also birds all bird like animals. So my mm-hmm. first choice was owl, but I just think I love owls. Mm-hmm. My second choice and the one that is going to be my my official answer is bat. Oh, oh. yeah, good one. Because I love to watch them fly around at night and they just look very like. Um, and uh and they eat bugs and they're they're creatures Mm, of night and yeah i just like i feel like there's yes i'm I'm, I'm reading two vampire books simultaneously right now so um but i want to throw in as a backup um the osprey Mm. the ferocious river chicken um, (laughs) that sort of is a very chicken-like bird but just like I've seen them on the river just dive in and get a and you just don't mess with an osprey no and they build those really cool nests very on tops of like they can build a nest on top of a telephone pole it's crazy and made out of like they look sturdy sticks right they're serious nests right they're like not Ikea nests these are yeah definitely put together well yeah so, Christine, what what do you think an icebreaker is for? What's its purpose? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think an icebreaker, an icebreaker's purpose probably depends on the context. Um, so, if you're thinking about sort of the first day of class, right? Um, I think in that case, what you're probably trying to do, well, there's at least two things, right? One is to get students to know each other. Right. Um, Especially if you're working on developing some sort of community in the classroom that um, is going to ultimately serve a purpose. Right. I mean, in a 500 person lecture classroom, I think it's lovely to do that, but I'm not sure it's going to serve much pedagogical purpose in a classroom of writing students who are going to be reviewing each other's work and responding to each other's work and maybe talking about difficult subjects with each other, um, it serves a really important community building purpose, right? You need folks to know each other. They need to be able to recognize each other's varying social identities, their their different background experiences, um, and they need to be able to learn to communicate with each other. And so I think the community building purpose is really important for any for a small classroom where you need them to function in some ways as a community it's about building community in classrooms where pedagogically community is at least um 
helpful and mm-hmm. maybe not maybe even essential. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean I mean in the program that I teach in in the peer writing consultant program I'm not only thinking about that classroom community but about a community that students writing tutors will be joining and being a part of for the next two or three years. So I'm really thinking about how do I start that here and how do we begin to establish some norms of community building the first day they participate in the program, which is the day they walk in the door for writing 300. And then that becomes a sort of norm that extends across um, across their time in the program. Yeah, yeah. In, t- I, in terms of building community. I really like what mm-hmm. you're saying about establishing norms. And we'll get to the icebreaker that you're going to tell us about in, in a minute, maybe, which I think is fantastic. And it strikes me as a way to establish these norms that's show rather than tell. Recently mm-hmm. in my classes, I've been establishing discussion guidelines with my classes, and I feel like it's not going very well because I dive right into it and it somehow becomes, despite my best efforts to involve them, me just telling them how to act. Mm-hmm. And it seems like your activity that, that you're going to share with us is much better in terms of enacting that and making it happen in the classroom. Mm. Yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I also do discussion norms and Mm -hmm. usually have that as a thing that we talk about. Um, And so I think there's some value in being explicit about that and Mm -hmm. helping students to understand why and letting them contribute to that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's value in sort of letting them experience that, right? And and structure determines behavior. So if you set up certain structures um, in which they are free to operate, This is a little Maria Montessori, right? Like you have choice within Mm -hmm. limits. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you set up the structures in which they are free to operate um, and make those boundaries really clear but give freedom within them, then I think they can have that experience of communication or getting to know one another or whatever that is um, in a a useful way. Um, And it's good to know what's out of bounds too, right? And so that the norms Mm -hmm. explicitly stated can have value. Mm -hmm. as well, yeah. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I, I would say both and on on that. But yeah. yeah, I think you want to have that experience so they can see, I don't know, what the joy is. And I rarely w- watch people violate norms. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hardly ever see that, even though at some point in the semester we will have a discussion about what those norms are. Maybe because they see, they experience that kind of, here's how we talk to each other, we care about each other, we get invested in each other as humans then they're less likely to do something really weird. Right. <laughs> Disturbing. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. I feel like um, I, I like the sort of long-range goal of the icebreaker um, that, you, that you talked about, uh, too, because I end up teaching a lot of classes that are super heavily discussion-based. Mm-hmm. And I think students... Who are specifically students who are not in the humanities are often like, what? What is this for? Like, mm-hmm. what is this talking for? <laughs> um, yeah. And I feel like, especially because these are also literature classes, I'm like, look, you're gonna you're gonna have to talk about stuff in life. Like, it is the mark of a well-educated person to be able to discuss things. So, what happens in class discussion? You can imagine yourself 
being at a dinner party and, you know, having to talk about topics that come up. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the icebreaker is just sort of another sort of life skill like that Mm -hmm. that builds communities in classrooms, but then also in other places. So if you're, you know, a new college student, for instance, and, and you might know how to act and interact in your own peer group, but you don't necessarily know yet how to do that in a group that you don't choose on your own, mm-hmm. you're learning something that is going to serve you in that pedagogical situation and beyond when you do an icebreaker, right? right. There right. are transferable skills. Yeah. And it's, it is, as you say, right, sort of a social skill, mm-hmm. right? How do you ask somebody a question and act genuinely interested in their response, right? Yeah. Um, and I, what your question just reminded me also of that sort of, like in the discussion-based classroom, right, one of the other functions of the icebreaker, so if there's one to build community, another one I think is certainly to literally break the ice of the silence in the classroom, right? Yes. Um, I guess that's not actually literally. That's metaphorically breaking <laughs> the ice of the silence in the classroom. But really you're breaking something, Yeah. right? And I think that's hugely important, especially for people who are introverts like me. Um, and I watched this happen just the other day in another cla- sort of se- seminar classroom, large group setting, where I didn't get to talk in the first three minutes and I didn't talk until like minute 50, so if, if I don't get my voice in the room pretty early, I'm unlikely to do it at all. And an icebreaker can give you a way to kind of maybe simultaneously or gradually, you know, or rather quickly, right, get everybody's voice once in the room. And if you sort of break that early morning, my students all meet at 835 or whatever that is. If you break that early morning silence and lethargy, it makes everything else better mm-hmm. for that day. They will be more likely to discuss if there's this little sort of warm-up thing at the beginning. And are you explicit with your students about all of these goals for icebreakers before you do them? I do talk to them explicitly about joining a community, what it means to be a part of a community, and understanding sort of what writing center communities are like. And I, t- and I also talk to them about this extending over space and time, right? That this is a practice that lots of people all over the world engage in and you're joining that larger writing center community too. So I, I do talk to them about that sort of community part. Um, I don't, I also talk to them explicitly about discussion and um, more, you know, more broadly or maybe theoretically um, sort of social constructivism mm-hmm. um, as a way of learning and that we are here together building knowledge Right. There's also things that we're learning from the past, right, and, and other scholars who've studied this activity, but we're building knowledge together. And every voice matters. Mm-hmm. And so discussion is hugely important. Um, and I think partly I try to shape icebreakers, not just to be sort of superficial learning ac- or getting to know you activities, but also things that get us into the meat of the course, like the content of whatever that day is in an experiential or personal way. So they're connecting to the course content. That's impressive. And that's hard. Like the idea yeah. of just like, what's your, what animal would you be? Like that, right. you know, it, there's sort of room to sort of walk around in that, you know, you, you're not mm-hmm. sort of hemmed in by that as, as a teacher or as a student, but when you set yourself the task of sort of actually addressing course material, I think that like that's that's a, a tall order. And it does seem to me like it would be challenging, but I think it, it would also really invigorate 
the icebreaker. Yes. Because I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because I know I've had the experience with icebreakers at times where I feel like I'm super engaged in what my students are saying about what animal they would be, which I have used, by the way. But, um, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Right, right. It's a good one. It's a good one. Very revelatory. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but the other students I've noticed sometimes get bored. Mm-hmm. I, like I can see that. And, mm-hmm. I, and it makes sense because it's not really clear sort of what purpose it serves right. or that why it's we need any. to know exactly right. what animal, <laughs> what animal you're going to be yeah, yeah. yeah. So. so if I so in a 75 minute class or 80 minute class if I'm taking or maybe if any of us are taking 10 minutes to do an icebreaker they don't have to be that long but if everybody tells you what sort of animal they'd be and why you know you're in there for a few minutes um that has to be valuable time right right that has to serve some maybe some larger purpose although there's there's lots of like play is good, right? Sure. But yeah. and there are you know the important ways that we can play with each other, and if we can also make those purposeful, serving some sort of pedagogical goal, I think that's good also. Mm-hmm. But not every single time, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I mean I think it's a it's a cool concept, and I as a person who teaches a lot of horror, I'm thinking of all the ways that I might do that in my classes immediately because everybody shows up in a horror class for a very specific reason. Mm -hmm. So we'll get to um, the icebreaker that you sent us and that we're going to actually put up on the website in a moment. But before we focus on that one, what are some other um, icebreakers that you like to use or that, mm-hmm. that you sort of flagged um, as being interesting for some reason? And what do you think makes them mm-hmm. interesting or problematic or whatever complicated enough to talk about? Mm. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a great question. And I um, sort of preparing for this and thinking about, like, why do I have any right to talk about icebreakers? Who the heck am I? You can just Google this. Um, I did go through like s- several like staff meeting notes and other stuff, um, course da- daily class plans, you know that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, to talk about uh, or to look at the at the variety of icebreakers. And I don't. Th- I think a lot of these would not show up as icebreakers. They don't read necessarily as icebreakers. They may read more as um, active learning. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, activities, right? That and they sort of overlap. But I'll I'll talk about a couple of them, um, and the one that's maybe like the most icebreaker-ish um, that that uh, I've used frequently, and I think it has some value is when we ask students to bring an object from home, wow. and that's usually the second day of class, right? So bring an object from home, and I always say um, photos are fine for anything that's alive. <laughs> So bring me a photo of your horse, not your horse. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, I just don't think we're ready for that right. quite yet. Maybe someday. Um, and somebody did bring a photo of their horse, so I'm just using that not as a so, okay. Uh, like that's not a pretend example. Um, but often that will get at. Um, so so it's fun, right? So and it's it's tangible. Sometimes people will let you will pass it around, right? Um, you can certainly look at it. Um, on their desk or whatever Um, and it has meaning and you see like what what do people value Mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's so many times that we're kind of like these um, these people who are extracted from our social relationships outside of the classroom and we can't imagine like oh wait these people have parents and siblings and you know complicated family trees and and almost always about 50 percent of the students will be some bring something related to a family member my grandmother gave me this locket um this is a picture of my family on vacation 
you know, and so we see them in their in their family networks in a way that a you know a huge population of eighteen to twenty two year olds almost never see each other. Is this, does everybody cry a lot during this? I haven't had anybody tear up yet. God, this reminds me <laughs> you you gave me another excellent icebreaker. I don't know why you think we would ask anybody else to do this. I mean, you you are like the 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 co- the collator of excellent icebreakers. But there's this other icebreaker that is a poem, and you're going to remember it oh, yeah. uh, about where you're from. Yeah, where I'm from, poem. Yep. And wh- but, who? Um, I think I think it's. I need to be careful about who I attribute that to, but I can send you a link. Yes, and um, we'll put it in the Definitely the show. Daniel Tatum certainly uses it. She's really important in talking about sort of racial yeah. equity in education. Yeah. Um, but I think she's actually borrowed it from somebody else. Yeah. Um, but it's a really sort of simple sort of fill-in-the-blank poem um, where students can – will fill in – it gives you a form, and then you sort of fill it in with um, – like a place name or a building name or, you know, something that all these things from your past, a food, uh-huh. a neighborhood, um, na- an image from nature. Like it'll just give you some suggestions about things to fill it in with. And that one, sometimes people do cry, yeah. especially me. Yes. Like I'm usually the weeper on that one, um, as I am often. But um, that one is a, like the object from home. You can do one minute per person. Like in my brain, that's what I'll calculate: one minute per person. So fifteen or twenty minutes for a class that I, the size I usually teach. Mm-hmm. The poem you have to give them time to write it, and then you have to give them time to share it. Um, and I usually keep it in the classroom so that nobody's like laboring over this thing that I don't. I like it really is a relatively quick activity but that can take you 45 minutes easy um and you can certainly put people into groups to share those poems not everybody has to read to the whole class that would take even longer probably um because they usually take about 20 minutes to to write it yeah. some folks need more time than that yeah um, so that's a big time commitment yeah it depends on the class but it can be incredibly important um if you're talking about a class that has racial or social class issues ethnic issues gender identity issues, ability, disability issues. Like if those are important course content things, this is a relatively straightforward way for people to signal some of their social identities. That is awesome. And personal identities to be, like it's very much, and it helps them to see each other not as categories. Right. right? But as this sort of interesting complex of. Deep person. Influences, yeah. Depth. Yeah. What else you got in your magic list? Um, So... So that was my, my sort of easy one. Um, something a little more typical, maybe related to the sort of where I'm from poem, are using personal and social identity wheels. If you need to talk about identity explicitly and those categories, um, those can be really useful and those are available on the web. The IGR website has a template for can those. Can you say more about this? I've, I've never, have you heard of it? I have not heard yeah, of it. Yeah, no. okay. say more. So I usually do it, um, I usually make a two-sided handout. One side has the personal identity wheels wheel on it, and one side has the social identity wheel on it. And the um, personal identity wheel asks you to answer a bu- bunch of questions about, like, sort of typical personal interests. So, like, who's your favorite? What kind of music do you listen to? Um, like, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite book? What's your favorite color? Um, what's your favorite food? I mean, that might not actually be on there, but these things that are sort of unique to individuals and have a lot to do with their interests and background. And then on the flip side, the social identity wheel is more about social categories into which you fit. So um, some of the things I just named, ability, disability, gender identity, sexual identity, or sexual orientation, I think is on there, Um, racial identification, religion, um, ethnicity, 
um, gen- gender, I think I said that. Mm-hmm. So there's, I mean, yeah, so a whole bunch of those. And then it asks you some reflecti- reflection questions like, which one do you think the most about? Which one do you think the least about? Hmm. Which one do other people notice first about you? Like just four questions that are relatively simple, hmm. um, but very powerful, actually, because they really do get at um, issues around identity and maybe give students a chance to talk about that with each other. I usually, if we talk, if we have students talk about them, and there wouldn't be a lot of value if you didn't, um, (laughs) I usually have them do it in small groups so Mm -hmm. that it's not like they have to expose whatever to a large group. And I always give them permission to say, you don't have to talk about any of these if you don't want to. Or or you you can be selective about which ones you want to talk about um, with your group. And mostly people are really happy to talk about that kind of stuff because again I think the structure determines the behavior so I've given them this structure in which to talk about things that we all well many of us are hesitant to talk about so you give that little formula and then it gives them a, gives them permission to do that maybe safely mm-hmm. yeah. I mean more safely than they could if it just randomly came up in some reading or whatever, and then you were like, whoa, I have to deal with this explosion. They right, got a little practice right. within that structure of the icebreaker. Yeah. 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 Okay, so so for something totally different. <laughs> um, what but, animal are you? No. <laughs> so for something totally different, um, and I think lots of people do this, um, on the very first day of class, I usually have them make name tags, and I turn it into, like, this example of origami, which it, it isn't an example of origami, but I use the origami terminology, like a mountain fold and a valley fold, and like you have to turn this one into this one in order to make my little table tent stand up. So it's not just fold a piece of paper in half, you have to like build something sort of. Hmm. Um, and the reason I do this is because, there are several reasons, but this is one of the ones that ties quite directly into the course content, which is about helping people learn how to be better writers and socially constructing knowledge. So many people are actually, well, baffled isn't quite the right word, but puzzled by this, how this thing goes together. And I would say it's not complicated if you're pretty good at sort of spatial imagining how this looks. And I give step-by-step instructions, um, and, and we you know, put your name on it and your gender pronouns and you decorate it however you want, whatever we have markers and stuff in the classroom and different colored paper. Um, but we, you get a chance afterwards. Um, well, first of all, I get a chance during it to tell people who are already done to work with somebody near them who hasn't figured it out yet. Mm-hmm. And we get to talk afterwards about where the challenges were. What did you have trouble learning? What was easy for you to learn? Um, why do you think it made it easy? To, was there anything about your background, maybe as a, you know, world champion origami <laughs> folder, um, as in a high, in high school or whatever? I haven't actually had one of those, but they they could happen. Um, you know, maybe like that made it really easy for them, or they sew a lot, and so like folding things and imagining things that are in two D and three D is no problem. Um, and so ta- doing use, using just this little exercise to create something that we need as a way of talking about the process of learning is can be really useful. And that's the other, that's another of the icebreakers that I brought, which is, and it's not really an icebreaker, it's like a team building activity. So yeah. it's substantial. Active learning. Active learning, but it's called the Marshmallow Challenge. <gasps> Do you know it? No. Well, 
If yes. it's what I think it it's is. It's a bee skull thing. My children are very eager to do it. Oh, and okay. we have not yet because we all know exactly how it will turn out for everyone. So, <laughs> All right, well, fill me in. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sh- I think you probably do know it. Um, so um, you give everybody... Um, and this is like no, really no instruction, virtually no instructions. So you give everybody a yard of tape, a yard of string. Oh, it's not what I thought at all. It's it's not the Continue. okay. It's twenty <laughs> pieces of spaghetti uncooked. That's very important, <laughs> and one marshmallow. And you tell them to build the highest tower they can. Wow! With these ingredients. Have you done this? <laughs> I had it all planned, and then it got totally derailed because, like, people, we, we did other stuff, and then we didn't have enough time for it. So I am going to do it. Um, for the purposes of team building, probably in staff meeting, not in my class. But this is absolutely a way to think about, first of all, how your team works, but then also how you learn together. I mean, I think it would, I think it would be absolutely fascinating to see how it goes. Am, am I the only one who's thinking, how high can it be? Oh, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, team building, whatever. How high can it be? Well, that's the idea, right? That's, so that's the goal. Yeah. And they have to, so all they know is what the goal is, and they have to figure out how to reach the goal. So you've never done this? I've like, never even done it. Yourself. I'll report back. Okay. Because yeah. I wondered, should you cut the marshmallow? Well, they do I suggest you that you give to. people scissors. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Every, they should have a couple of pairs of scissors. Yeah. Wow. But I, I mean, that could be for cutting tape or string or I don't know why you'd use it on spaghetti. But maybe marshmallow. Yes, you could cut up the marshmallow yeah. into multiple pieces. To the, to the base. Uh-huh. I feel like this uh-huh. would be a particularly useful exercise in, in my classroom, too, because it will identify immediately who the leaders are, mm-hmm. who the people are, who might you might have to sort of rein in in class discussion, who's, mm. who's being watchful to make sure everybody's participating. You know, mm-hmm. In other words, it will give you a chance to look at Group dynamics when you're not leading group dynamics, which right. often gets in the way for me anyway. Right. Mm. That's true. Yeah, that's interesting yeah. Um, thing to do with it. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's certainly, in addition to that, it would obviously provide opportunity for self-reflection. Mm-hmm. What role did I take in this team exercise? Mm-hmm. Um, what, what role did other people take? How did we solve problems? How did we make collective decisions? Yeah. How did we communicate? Um, and I think while... A lot of our work in writing centers is individual. Um, Students can certainly think about this in relationship, or I'm sorry, peer tutors can certainly think about this in relationship to the writers they work with. You know, what do I tend to do in a group problem-solving situation, which is basically what that dyad is, and then, you know, how can I listen to and learn from the person I'm working with in order to make that more effective, and how can I sort of figure out how they interact in that situation as well mm-hmm. so you can talk about this not only in terms of the team that you've just created but its application to other situations yeah this is real really also inspiring me to do more than just one icebreaker mm-hmm. throughout the course of a yeah. semester mm-hmm. because i tend to to group them all at the beginning and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and not really return to it but mm-hmm. these kinds of activities that you're mentioning i could imagine being really useful throughout the term, especially in something like a writing class where community really matters yeah. all the way through. Yeah. yeah, now I have to redo my syllabi. <laughs> <laughs> you can wedge these in quickly. I mean, I do spend probably the first semester or first four to eight weeks 
doing a lot of stuff like this mm -hmm. for the purpose of mixing people up, getting them to talk to each other, getting them to know each other better. Um, even if that is really focused on the coursework, I'm working to, to get them to become a community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about something unusual or interesting or especially rich that's happened as a result of some of these icebreakers? Hmm. What are your greatest moments? Oh dear! In icebreakers, or or worst, or blooper, that. or or yeah, or or yeah, gag reel, or really, <laughs> or or failure, yeah. yeah. You know, so I guess maybe I'm just I'm just not going to rise to the bait. I actually can't think of one, and that may just be my poor memory. Great. But it may also be that I think when you get people, when you provide a good structure and you get people talking, that mostly they don't fall flat. They may not. I mean, I'm sure that I've done things that haven't gotten to, like, the brilliant pedagogical point that I wanted them to have. But, I mean, I never felt like it was, that it was a total waste of, I mean, I can't remember, disclaimer, I can't remember a time when I thought it was a waste or that it got un uncomfortable in some way. They almost always um, get people to connect with each other, at least my students, um, and... They almost always do a really lovely job. I would say my job, as though it were a task or something. Um, I would say that the difficulty is sometimes reining them in. They like talking. They like talking to each other. They like learning about each other. Like they're, These are sort of a self-selected group of people who are deeply invested in other humans. <laughs> um, and they're joining the program for that reason, I think. And so they would spend, we could spend, all day on an icebreaker we could spend a whole class or half a class mm -hmm. and sometimes I have to <laughs> cut it off <laughs> and say we need to do something else so I, maybe that for me that's like the biggest danger is letting it take over without maybe moving on to some other things you keep saying the structure determines the behavior mm -hmm. and I really like that and, and it seems like a sort of implicit way of saying there's a social contract and everybody follows it, right? Like mm -hmm. when, when you introduce one of these mm -hmm. activities, like people know this is what I'm supposed to do and by and large they have done it. Yeah. And I suppose that the social contract could be violated, right? Somebody could choose not to do the icebreaker. To right, cut somebody, up the identity wheel. Right. Or, or yeah, leave it blank. Yeah. Or um, uh, break the spaghetti. <laughs> right. Just Eat the marshmallow. The spaghetti. Eat the marshmallow. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need this, do we? <laughs> right. um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So I think that the, the disengagement is probably like the biggest risk. But by and large, People don't. And I also think that one of the reasons that icebreakers work, and this may be sort of counter to the name icebreaker, is that you're not you're not trying to go deep necessarily immediately, mm -hmm. right? That there should be ways to to do it, to fulfill the social contract without necessarily being more revelatory than you want to be, and also ways to go deeper if you want to. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes one student will just take this beautiful risk um, and reveal something that does things that just coalesce that community. Mm -hmm. in a, I mean, in that group of people, helping them to become more of a community mm -hmm. in, in that moment because somebody's willing to take the risk. And that's really moving and incredible. It doesn't 
always happen or maybe even often happen, but sometimes it will. And then it makes a huge difference. Yeah. Well, should we hear about the icebreaker? You've Sure. Come to dive deep with us into. You want to describe it? Sure. Okay. I will describe it. And, and we'll put the materials up on on our site. On our website. So, okay. Yeah. Yep. So this won't be your for your only chance to learn this if you're listening. Okay. Um, and just to be clear, like, I did not invent this icebreaker or any of the others that I've talked about. I don't think. Um, I mean, I'm not sure about the making name tags one, like yeah. turning that into an icebreaker, maybe. But let's okay. not get carried away. Um, so so this is called concentric circles. Um, that's the one I sent you, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I sent you a copy off the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I chose it for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that I think it's highly adaptable to a lot of different situations. Um, not a super small group. It will not work with a tiny group of people. But um, Tiny being what, what? Tiny being it would be weird to do it with, like, six people. It right. Right. Yeah, I could right? see you that. Need, okay. You need a, a certain critical mass. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've done it with ten, and that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, Four people, like, don't bother. Right? Just, yeah. <laughs> Just sit there and talk to each other. Um, so the and, – and I also think it works, like, well, early in the semester, I think it works to build energy in the room, which you might need. Um, I spend a lot of time thinking about how I can get energy up at 8.30 in the morning. Um, so, so that – for that reason. So the structure of it is really, really simple. Um, you get – you divide the group of people into two groups – one stands in a circle with their backs to each other, so they form a circle with their backs to each other, and the other group forms a circle facing those folks um, around the outside of them. And um, I think you can, I would also point out that I've done this in two lines, and mm-hmm. I think that's fine too. Um, and the the moderator, me, whatever, the, the organizer of the thing, um, has a series of questions that they want them to answer. Um, and so, you know, you give them one or two minutes per question and they, each part set of partners has to answer the question. So one person gets to talk for a minute, the other person gets to talk for a minute. Um, and then the facilitator will call time and then one of those rows, not both of them, one of those, one of those circles rotates one person to the left or one person to the right. Or if you really want to mix it up, you say, uh, three people to the right this time and then two people to the right next time or whatever, mm-hmm. it's probably good to go in one direction, not both, because, yeah. yeah, it's hard to keep track of. Um, and then you ask the next question, and those two people discuss it, and then you move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you do that as many times as you want. I will usually devise five questions mm-hmm. as at the beginning of, you know, this is probably the second or third day, third day or fourth day of class, mm-hmm. um, just still trying to get them to have conversations with each other, get to know each other's names, um, it's important when you pair up that you introduce each other, introduce yourselves to each other so mm-hmm. that you're learning names. Um, so it helps people get acquainted. It can share a little bit of like personal fun information. I don't tend to make it heavy. Um, I will sometimes make it about course material, right? So it might be about um, where's your favorite place to write on campus or what is the last thing that you wrote, you know, and so they can just share that kind of stuff. And they will often, you know, go on and have a conversation that maybe drifts quite a bit away from whatever I just suggested. Um, so we might start off with, like, what's your favorite cold weather beverage? And then it becomes, like, where you get that and what you picked up at the bookstore when you were there or whatever. Um, so it can become some other kind of conversation. And that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. I don't care if they stay on topic. It's just getting to know you. 
kind of activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, in class I've done it with as few as 10. Usually we have a slightly bigger class, 16 or something. Um, but I've also done it with our peer writing consultants in a group of 45 or, I mean, 40. And then you just have these two parallel lines. It, I mean, you can also determine your shape based on the classroom, right? Mm-hmm. What, what can you fit in there? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then, like, what, when you get to the end, one person has to, like, run around to the other side. And that kind of is an energetic thing as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So it can, be, it can be fun, but it's not. It's something anybody can do any circumstances, I think. And you could think about, like, do we need to use chairs for some folks or you know, whatever, but you can probably make it accommodate most people's needs. Mm-hmm. And then you have a discussion afterwards, right? Not necessarily. Oh, not necessarily? Oh, no, okay. this okay. isn't one that I don't think that you would particularly need to debrief. Ah, okay. I, right. It sounds like it would depend on the questions. So yes. like, if you weren't asking about cold weather beverages, mm-hmm. but rather, you know, like the, the sample that you sent us had some pretty heavy questions on it. Like yeah. what, you know, like when was a time that you've like that, I can't remember. That you didn't interrupt a prejudice. Yeah. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It seems yeah. like the, 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 heavier, I, yeah. the heavier questions right. might need debriefing. And that might be, that would not, I would not say that's probably an icebreaker. That would no. be an active learning right. activity. <laughs> and, and you would want to prepare students for that. And then you would, you would probably also want to talk about them. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Right. I tend to use it on the, on the lighter side. I haven't yeah. used it for that um, itself. It sounds like the way you were describing it, the 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 question isn't simply answered, but mm-hmm. or it works best when the when the person isn't like hot cocoa, and then they stand there in an embarrassed silence <laughs> right. for fifty two seconds. Yeah, and then right? the other person says tea, and, and then they, they turn away from there. each other. Yeah, yeah. but right. usually, usually, I mean, this is this goes back to your point earlier, Gina, about. Um, developing social skills. Yeah. Right? How do you have a conversation with somebody you don't know? Well, if they say hot cocoa, you say with or without whipped cream. Exactly. And then you move on, right? Like you're moving that conversation further mm-hmm. ahead. Um, tea, what kind? Green or black, right? I mean, you just, you figure out ways to make that conversation last for a minute, which is not a bad skill. Like you will be standing in an elevator with your boss someday and yes. have to like do exactly. chit-chat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I feel like it's, yeah. especially the way you've been describing it, they're particularly benign questions that it's safe to ask another, you, you know, like yeah. when was a time you didn't interrupt a prejudice doesn't really inspire <laughs> the next question, the way right, that, right. <laughs> where mean, did you write your last paper, Mike? You know what right. I mean? Yeah. And you can't ask that, where, how, when, when did you fail to interrupt a prejudice or bias or whatever that mm-hmm. statement is? You can't ask that the first or second day of God, class. God, no. Sure. Right? I mean, that's that requires a great deal of trust yeah. to be able to tell somebody about and vulnerability, right? To be able to tell somebody when you messed up, mm-hmm. when you failed. Like, that's that's week 10. <laughs> Or, or, you know, if you've done a lot of, if that's the point of your class, that could be much earlier. But yeah. in many places, that will be much later. Yeah. 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 I've been thinking a lot about building trust in my classrooms mm-hmm. and how important that mm-hmm. is in terms of generating good discussion mm-hmm. and, and genuine community. And I think I had this sort of mistaken impression for a long time that if I just said exactly the right thing, it would magically blossom forth. But <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of realizing, like, that's not how it works, you know, and, like, activities like these, I think, are a good way to start really doing the work of making that happen. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you think about, I mean, that's an interesting question to think about what 
creates trust, right? What are the, what are the conditions necessary for trust? Um, and I don't know that I have a magical answer, but I think some of it is having somebody make a promise to you and then have them keep it. And for that to happen many times over time. Many right? times, not just once. It's not just one right, time, right. right? And I think that's, I mean, I would circle back again to that idea of structure determining behavior. If I set up a structure in which it's pretty clear what you have to do in order to keep my trust, right? You answer this question honestly. You cut the tape for the spaghetti. I don't know, whatever you're doing. but, but <laughs> Don't you know, eat the marshmallow. Right, right. You don't <laughs> eat the marshmallow. You don't eat the marshmallow. Yeah. And then, you know, so then you have these opportunities to build trust. I tell you something and you listen to it carefully. Now I trust to tell you something a little more yeah. tender, right? Right. And, and that can go on. Um, do you meet the, the challenges that our relationship throws in front of you? Can you value what I give you? Um, can you share back with me? Like, are you willing to be vulnerable with me when I'm vulnerable with you? That also, I think, helps to build trust. And I think, yeah, icebreakers can... Icebreakers, which is feels like such a trivial name for it them does, in right. some ways, right? We're breaking the uh, <laughs> Right, yeah. right. And that, ha- that has value, but I think they can do a lot more than that, too, in classrooms. Right. It strikes me as sort of the inverse of the popular children's game, Don't Break the Ice, mm-hmm. where you're constantly mm-hmm. trying to tap, 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 and ice cubes yeah. fall, and you're trying not to. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of the same as that game. You're trying not to have your little man fall. Right. 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 So just right, right, in the right. same way that yeah. we're trying not to let each other fall in the classroom. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a really nice way. Maybe you could bring in that as an icebreaker. I love it. Everybody gets a game. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the question that I have, I actually don't like I don't have an answer to in my own mind. So this is like a genuine call for help. Mm. When does a teacher participate rather than facilitate. Oh, that's a great mm. question. That is a really good question. Yeah. 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 Because I I, I have to admit, um, you know, at the very end of this podcast that I'm not a big user of icebreakers. And part of the mm-hmm. reason why is my, my classes usually are too big to mm-hmm. um, accommodate them conveniently. But another one is that I always just feel like the sort of the, the left out sock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, the, mm-hmm. like I, I don't know what my role is. Yeah. And I mean, I'm part of it. Like, teachers are interstitial in that they are definitely part of the community at the same time that they are apart from the community. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, help. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I feel that tension also. There's lots of times when I don't participate um, because I'm facilitating and I'm trying to make sure that it runs okay. Um or because I just don't feel like it's my job, like my job is to help them build community and I don't need to interject myself in that. Um, and I'm also an introvert, so like icebreakers freak me out, so I don't really want to do them. Um, <laughs> that's not totally true, right? I've sort of gotten over that, but I think there's some element of like holding back. Um, and at the same time, I will participate occasionally. Um, and it's usually one where um, we're going around in a circle and everybody's doing something. So they don't need a facilitator. I've set it up and that's fine. So an object from home, I always bring one. It's usually a photo of my family just because I don't have anything else that, that interesting that I would carry to campus. Um, uh, but, but, you know, so I will participate in something like that. Um, when, when everybody gets a turn, 
Um, and I think it's important to like give away some of something about myself also. Um, but like if we were doing the marshmallow challenge, I would not participate in that because that's about their teams and there will be questions and somebody has to keep track of time. And so I'm taking on a role there that probably matters that I can't do two things simultaneously. I can't be part of the team and facilitate. So I, I'm going to, I think based on what I just said, I probably decide based on the structure of the event rather than some strategy on the part of who I am in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Can I participate? I will. Is it more important that I sit back and pay attention to what else is going on? Probably not. I always do the social identity wheel. I'll do a where I'm from poem, Mm -hmm. like those kinds of things where people are working kind of individually. Thanks so much to Christine for talking with us. And Christine, may you dive into the new semester like a hawk swooping down on some prey. And when you start the work of grading, may you work through your pile of papers like a woodpecker digging into a particularly juicy tree trunk. Amen. Thanks also to Phil Cameron for his audio expertise and advice, to the Language Resource Center for loaning us their recording studio, to the CRLT Lecturers Professional Development Fund, and to you for listening. Look for a new episode coming soon.